Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 92. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How's your week been, Fooleman? Dyson Berry has ruined my day. Dyson Berry <laughs> ruined my last night. He's still ruining my morning. I'll let you know if he ruins the rest of this week. But Tyson Berry, in his decision-making of when is an appropriate time to shoot the fucking hockey puck, has made me crazy. And I know that his numbers are better. Not way better, as we were just discussing. A little bit better than they were under Mike Babcock. He has improved. The team has improved. A rising tide has lifted his boat. But the way that he decides to shoot the puck makes me insane. And there was no better example of it than last night in overtime when he made the extremely dubious decision during three-on-three to go for a point slap shot. What's the best case scenario there? Either you hit the corner one time in a billion, terrific, you're the hero. When you don't, you miss wide, the goalie kicks out a rebound, and it's a break the other way, and the Montreal goddamn Canadians score on you in overtime to get a critical two points and leave us holding the bag and only one point. How are you? I'm good. Um, so I spent <laughs> I spent most of yesterday, I tweeted about this um, this morning, or last night rather, I spent most of yesterday um, reading a paper that's adjacent to some of the research I do in like my daily life. Mm-hmm. And they had a result that was different from my result. And I couldn't see where they were wrong. I couldn't see where I was wrong. And yet I didn't think both their result and my result could be true, mm-hmm. which obviously poses a problem, right? right. Um, but luckily I managed to figure it out. And it turns out, in my opinion, I think they're wrong. So again, I'm correct in my analysis. Oh, yeah, baby. Get him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was an annoying day in that perspective and then made more annoying by um, the Leafs bottling it. Uh, so, <laughs> lots to discuss this week. It's been an eventful week in Leafs and and I guess, I guess the best way to do this um, is go chronologically. And this will also give you time to cool off before we have to talk about Tyson Berry's game last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell. I think I kept it pretty subtle, but I'm a little upset. So, yeah, maybe let's turn the clock back to Monday. Yes. Which, uh, this isn't actually going to make me less upset. No. (laughs) Monday Monday was a simpler time. Um. (laughs) We were so young and so innocent. And we were about to play the Florida Panthers, and we were winning, and everything looked fine. We were kicking their ass for two periods. It was so good. It was maybe the best 40 minutes of hockey that the Leafs have played this season. Considering the stakes, considering the opponent, considering... How they had to, how they, you know, at least kind of embarrassed themselves last time against Florida. You know, this was mm-hmm. a game where if there's a nondescript third period, this gets talked about the next day as like a gut check win, as you know, a win where they needed to show up and they did and they delivered, and that's what this team is about. But listeners, they did not win, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> they did not. Now, so the first thing was Freddie Anderson suffered what is being alleged to be a neck injury. Um, we're hoping it's not too severe. The vibe we're getting is that it's not. But it's been enough that he hasn't played since. So that was unfortunate. And then Michael Hutchinson came in in relief. In the second period. Yes. Now you might be thinking, how did that go? <laughs> in light of the fact that we traded for another goalie uh, three days later? Eh, not so great. The Leafs ended up losing in regulation 5-3 to the Panthers after a gross third period where I don't think anyone 
should be proud of how that went, frankly. Michael Hutchinson, certainly not. But collectively, it was pretty bad. Yes, so the Leafs were up 2-1 after 2, and probably deserved to be up by more. Or at least, you know, they were playing well enough that if you if they had a 2, even 3 goalie to that point, you wouldn't have really blinked. It would have been mm-hmm. kind of, okay, yeah, they've been playing better than the Panthers. Austin Matthews scores what looks like it should be an insurance goal. You know, very early in the third period. And you could be forgiven for thinking, if the Leafs keep playing the way they've played through the first 40 minutes, they've got this sewn up. Mm -hmm. Um, That did not happen. The Panthers scored two goals in, like, a very short amount of time. Neither were stupendous goals, to be completely honest. Um, One of them, in one of them, Cody Ceci, for some reason, did a backhand kind of pseudo no-look pass behind... Where he, he was in front of the net. Sandine was um, kind of on the goal line on the other side of the goalie. CC decides to do a backhand, again, as I said, pseudo no-look pass off the boards to Sandine. CC can't hit, you know, he couldn't hit the Pacific Ocean with a pass from Long Beach. Mm. Right? Like So this was not a great decision. Did not go to plan. Resulted in a cycle where the Panthers get uh, a goal. And I think CeCe was the guy who was supposed to be tying up his man in front. And there's, you don't want to big mistake the guy too much because, mm-hmm. you know, cycles like that happen hundreds of times a game. And most of the time we don't notice because the puck doesn't go in. And CeCe actually was tripped on that play, right? Mm-hmm. So his defense actually on that play was not awful. But it was just a really galling set of circumstances where it was so avoidable. Yes, and CC seems to be prone to that. I think we can all agree. Uh, actually, and this is forecasting ahead very slightly, but Cody CC suffered an ankle injury, uh, rumors high ankle sprain, on Wednesday, which has all sorts of implications that we'll talk about. But it's possible we've seen the last regular season game with Cody CC in a Leafs uniform, for reasons that we'll get into. Um, maybe this is a good moment to just kind of look back. I think Cody Ceci this year has played like uh, a viable sixth defenseman for the most part. You can put him on the third pair and it's okay. On a team that's pretty decent, which the Leafs have been under Sheldon Keefe, he's above water. That's it. And I think that there are a lot of guys who are not in the NHL, frankly, who could probably meet that standard. His decision-making is, wow, uh, something to behold under pressure. His physical gifts are not bad by any means. You can see why he looks sometimes like a defenseman. But every now and then he will frustrate you with just the most incredible misplays with the puck uh, under pressure, like the one you just described. And those are kind of tough to endure as a fan, frankly, because they stand out There was another recent one. To where mm-hmm. I forget, I forget what game it was. This might not even be like that recent. Um, but he had, he was behind his net, and uh, a, a four checker kind of, you know, went around one way of the net. So CC went out the other. Standard stuff. Mm-hmm. And Sandine was maybe twelve feet away from CC uh, on the left side. You know, in a more advanced position, ready to progress the puck. And CC makes a pass under basically no pressure and just misses him. Like, it's just, it's just not a tape-to-tape pass from 12 feet away. And, look, hockey is hard. 
right? If my beer league teammate makes that mistake, I'm that's fine, right? That's we're, we're beer leaguers. Nothing's really at stake. We're not very good. We're just all <laughs> trying to make sure we don't get injured. Um, but when you can't hit a guy with a twelve foot tape to tape pass with under no pressure, like it's it's the mistake that sticks out in your mind. And look, I'm sure every player misplaces passes. Every single player doesn't, but that was like a microcosm of Cody CC. Anyways, um, this is just the first goal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to work through some stuff today. Uh, so, yeah, that game was obviously devastating. The Florida Panthers are right now the Leafs' only serious competition for the three seed in the Atlantic. Montreal Canadiens are on the outside edge of making it interesting. But I would say the odds are very good that if the Leafs have fallen behind the Canadians, they've fallen behind several other teams. So, yeah, I'm not prioritizing it. The Florida Panthers are a team that we really, really, really want to beat. And dropping a regulation loss to them was very painful. Yes. And then on Wednesday, we went and played the New York Rangers. Oh, I'm not done with this game. Oh, okay, sorry. On um, Wednesday, we did, but we're going back to Monday still. Yeah, sorry. This, this this might be one of those like you know two hour podcasts. Just warning so be you it. now. Um, <laughs> so a lot was said about Hutchinson and CC in the aftermath of this game. Um, I won't go through the rest of the goals in detail, but Hutchinson didn't cover himself in glory, nor did CC on the three three goal by I think it was Mike Hoffman who scored that, and then just the rest of the way they you know the Leafs kind of capitulated from there. Mm-hmm. Um, now taken as a whole. It's hard to not blame that game on goaltending. Uh, the Leafs, or at least say the goaltending differential between the teams is effectively what decided the game. Borowski was excellent. Um, Anderson was fine. Hutchinson was bad. Right? And part of that is bad luck. One of the goal, the Hoffman goal was basically below the goal line. It was banked off, I think, CC skate and then Hutchinson skate, and it went in. That happens to every goalie from time to time. It's hard to, like, that's just kind of one of those random shit happens things, and it happened at the worst possible time. Yeah, um, I think people are often too hard on those goals because they look clown shoes, but the mm-hmm. reality is that you can be positioned in entirely normal defensive and goaltending spots, and sometimes someone will just hit a bank shot, and there's very little you can do about it. Yes. So. The thing is, I, what I don't want to absolve the rest of the Leafs for is that after, I think the Panthers scored a 4-3 goal with about nine minutes to go. Mm-hmm. After that point the Leafs generated effectively no offense. Down mm-hmm. a goal, at home. It's a back-breaking position to be in after playing the rest of the game so well, but they re- they generated nothing in the last nine minutes. It was brutal to watch. It was frustrating as hell. Um, and as much as a huge portion of the blame for that game can be pinned on the goaltending differential and on the specific mistakes of Cody Cece, the rest of the players bear some responsibility for that last nine minutes and you know i want to be careful of not setting a super like setting an unrealistically high standard where it's like okay you should there should never be a nine minute stretch where you don't do well right you know that happens even for good teams even for great teams even for the best teams Mm -hmm. but it was incredibly frustrating to see that sort of lack of kind of last push and I, I don't think this is like a lack of effort I just think you know it's it's hard and they they weren't able to get it done but from a fan's perspective that final period was infuriating but the final 10 minutes was possibly the most infuriating part of it 
Yes, unfortunately, this is a theme that will arise again as we travel through this week. <laughs> yes. Okay, so now I'm done. So, New York, go ahead. Uh, the New York Rangers are not a very great hockey team right now. They're struggling. They're hanging around better than their underlying numbers would suggest that they should. But they're not very good, and we should have beat them. I think it's fair to say that Michael Hutchinson bears a lot of the responsibility for this loss, and that we could have won anyway despite playing kind of mediocrely with decent goaltending. This kind of ended the Michael Hutchinson experiment as the second goalie, though. Like, this was it. I'm sure the trade was in discussions for quite some time beforehand, but I don't think it's irrelevant that the trigger on the trade got pulled a few hours after this game ended. We'll get to that. Um, just a kind of back-breaking, disappointing loss. Um, I do worry sometimes that when there's something that's especially frustrating for us as fans, we kind of assume that it's also frustrating for the players to the same extent that it is for us. You know, like when we talk about um, I'm thinking of uh, this goal here. Uh, Matthews scores late in the second period to bring it to within one goal, to bring it to 3-2 Rangers. And then the Rangers come back and score 34 seconds later. It's like, that hurts, you know, as a fan, just as you start to get some hope back and it gets absolutely slapped down on you on a clown shoes goal. Um, man, that was uh, that was a tough game. Yeah. Austin Matthews seemed to be trying to do it all himself, and he damn near did it. Yeah, he was very impressive, I thought, but that was very frustrating. It was, and I mean the the sequence in the first where, um, okay, so the Leafs go up one nothing on a nice uh, Tavares goal. Nice in that mm-hmm. it you know it, it's what the Leafs are designed to do. They they get a good shot. There's a rebound. Tavares knows how to position himself. He pots the rebound, right? That's a that's a nice Leafs goal. It goes the other way for a bit, and then uh, the Rangers get effectively a tap-in um, because, as far as I remember, all three of the Leafs' third-line forwards just kind of fell asleep and let a guy go back door, and the defense did as well, but the defense was ha- had to cover two people. So mm. not great, but that's also one of those things where, you know, if we do it, that's great offense, and if it happens to us, it's bad defense, right? It's obviously a bit of both. The next set of Rangers goals, and I say set because they happened six seconds apart, was just embarrassing, um, both on Hutchinson and the defense. In the, For the first goal, I think um, all, literally all that happens is Austin Matthews loses a defensive zone faceoff, and Mika Zibanejad takes a, far as I can tell, unscreened shot from above the faceoff dot. Goes through mm-hmm. Hutchinson, right? And that's, like, that, that's, that's a bit of a backbreaker. And to make it worse, the very next shift, the puck often off the opening, off the center circle face-off, the puck squirts out um, kind of in this nether zone between the Leafs' defense and their forwards. Justin Hall steps up briefly, just hesitates slightly. Um, he gets beat by a Rangers forward pouncing on it, and they just score on the breakaway. I think it's Chris Kreider. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the air went out of the team after that, it feels right like that's such a brutal combination of bad goaltending compounded by awful defense on the third goal it's super super frustrating to watch and then you know you're always 
up against it to some degree when you're down two goals, even against a bad team. The Leafs kind of did quite well the rest of the way, at least in the second. Um, yeah, more in the second than in the third. But, you know, you can't spot even a bad team two goals in today's NHL. Yeah. Like, I, I'm torn between, between not wanting to blame it all on Hutchinson because I think that that is not fair, genuinely. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not an accurate assessment of this team's issues. But at the same time, a lot of people want to go in the other direction and say basically no goalie could ever play behind this awful defensive team and survive. Well, that's not true either. Michael Hutchinson, after a brief flurry where he's starting together a couple of decent starts, has reverted to being a very low-end backup, it feels like, and it got to the point where we couldn't survive it anymore. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um but this wasn't working and it became kind of painfully clear. I don't love spending assets for goaltending, which we did, as we're about to discuss, in the way that we did it, but sometimes you kind of got to do something. And I think if the team misses this year, narrowly, the playoffs, Kyle Dubas might have to answer some tough questions about leaving the backup goaltending situation the way that he did. I'm more sympathetic to him than some people, but a lot of people are quite rightly asking, you know, how we got to this pass where we're making this trade in February after having blown several points. Yeah, and I guess that, that's a good point you raise about the the defense thing, and this will come into, this will be a recurring topic, especially in our bad takes segment, where we've actually both had bad takes this week to discuss, which will, I'm sure, be fun. Um but yeah, they, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's a two things can be true situation. Hutchinson mm-hmm. is a bad goaltender by NHL standards, right? Like you can look at the numbers, you can look at the eye test. They all kind of support the fact that he is not a particularly good goaltender. Mm-hmm. At, so and, and when you have bad goaltending, for every team that has bad goaltending, bad goaltending is the primary reason they are bad. Yeah, you can't survive genuinely bad goaltending. You right. just can't. It's just not time, doable. At the same time, it doesn't mean that the rest of the team is flawless. And I think the people who kind of say Hutchinson is to blame are not saying the rest of the team is flawless. They're saying the rest of the team has flaws, but those flaws are within the range of acceptable for a hockey team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the flaw that is not in the range of acceptable for the hockey team is the fact that our goalie lets 25% of his shots in. Yeah, which is lately what it's felt like. I mean, a save percentage on the year is under 890, isn't it, or something like that? It's yeah. not satisfactory. Yeah, so I think the reason people don't say what I just said every time is because that's pretty wordy to say. right? Yeah. And it, like, the biggest issue that the Leafs have faced is goaltending. Now, look, the Leafs are not good defensively. And, you know, I've, I've tweeted this uh, a couple times, and I've mentioned this before, where under Keith, the Leafs, are, I think, are like 14th or so in expected goals against rate, which is... Mediocre, right? Mm-hmm. Which for the Leafs is a pretty big step up. I buy that we're not as good as that suggests. Yeah. Right? I, I, I 100% buy that because, anecdotally anyways, it seems like our offensive structure and our breakouts, because they're so fluid and because players continuously jump up and exchange positions and we ask players to do things that they are not necessarily specialized to do, when it goes the other way, the spacing is all kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means it's pretty easy for another team to counterattack and get pretty good chances. Um, so an example I would give is it, 
this is a bit of a cross-sport example, but um, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City team kind of dominates possession most. They're, you know, one of the richest and one of the best teams in the world. They dominate possession against almost everyone they face. They have amazing attackers. Uh, they're quite fluid. They create these pretty intricate, you know, scenario passing scenarios and overload scenarios. Uh, and in a sport that is, you know, notoriously very hard to score in, they do it just about as well as anyone. Um, when they lose the ball, they are vulnerable, and that's been a thing for a long time. And one of the kind of ge- one of the genius aspects of Guardiola and his team is that they've mastered the art of being of kind of minimizing the um, minimizing how vulnerable they are from pretty bad turnover positions. And part of that is because they use in soccer what's called a tactical foul, essentially a foul to stop a fast break going the other way. Um, now in hockey, you can't really do that mm. to, to the same extent. It's a, it's a faster sport. You have fewer players, and the penalty for a clear break is a penalty shot, as opposed to you know in in soccer where a lot of the times all you get is a yellow card, which is not that big a deal, relatively speaking. Right. Right. Even just a regular power play is essentially giving up a twenty to twenty five percent chance of um, the opposing team scoring, and also two minutes where you're almost certainly not going to score. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Leafs have a lot of those same weaknesses without the kind of structural benefits that soccer provides to counteract that. And also, yeah, it's they just generally weakness. don't have good defenders. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, I think we're probably worse than we're probably a little bit worse than mediocre defensively. We're not so bad defensively that like, oh, this is an affront to hockey. They can't win like this. This is, you know, the worst defensive team in NHL history. Like that stuff is overblown. Yeah, it, it does. It gets hyperbolic. And I think, you know, I've mentioned this before, but there's a tendency with every goal to kind of look at it and almost do the Zapruder thing with the footage and be like, okay, look at this frame. And then where was the defense on this frame? And then, then what happened? And to break it down into extremely fine grain detail and then to categorize the goal as either the goalie's fault or not the goalie's fault. Hockey is not that binary ever. We've talked about this before. Technically, if you make perfect defense, you shouldn't give up a shot on goal almost ever. So the fact that one happened already suggests that, well, somebody could have done their job a little better at some point. But the point is not that once that happens, once there's a scoring chance against, the goalie is absolved. It's you have to save shots. You have to save scoring chances a certain percentage of the time. It's not you have to either get all the ones that you're supposedly at fault for and then the rest of them is beyond your control. It's you have to have a certain success level. And Hutchinson, by any measure, was not doing that. And also, people will analyze the plays that lead to goals against to with a much higher degree of scrutiny than they do a run-of-the-mill shot that doesn't that just ends up getting saved. Right? Like, yeah, because suddenly we have to think about it. And, you know, goals-based analysis is natural. Goals are the big things that happen. But it's not a complete way to look at the game. And I think that there's a tendency towards that. I also think maybe this is just so ingrained. Because I remember this very distinctly from the time I was, like, five. No exaggeration. You don't blame your goalie. Like, even if your goalie screws up, and, like, I remember, like, house league games and stuff where the goalie allowed, like, eight goals and stuff. You don't say anything, even as a kid. And, like, there's such a culture of that in hockey as you go up through every single level. 
of a reluctance to blame the goalie. I think some of that actually does seep out into analysis where people just are reluctant to blame the goalie and it gets kind of weird. Anyway, at, at this point, you know, Michael Hutchinson seems like he's probably not super viable as an NHLer. He had a little run there where, you know, we got a couple wins and that was good. And I don't think that he's, you know, like inconceivably far from being uh, like a passable backup. I don't think he's doing it, but it's like, you know, it's never as bad as it feels when you've just watched him blow a game. But it was time to make a deal. So are you good with the Rangers thing? Do you want to do the trade? Yeah, let's get to the trade. Okay, so in the hours after the Rangers game, I should actually note as an aside before I mention this, Cody CC. Yeah, had that high ankle sprain in the Rangers game. So we'll address that a little bit mm-hmm. going forward. But here was the trade. With the Los Angeles Kings, the Leafs sent Trevor Moore and a third-round pick in the 2020 draft that was originally belonging to the Columbus Blue Jackets and a 2021 conditional third-round pick that was the Leafs' own. Uh, the third-round pick jumps up to a second if either Kyle Clifford, who we'll talk about, resigns with Toronto, or if the Leafs make the 2019-20 playoffs and Jack Campbell wins six regular season games. The return for that whole thing was goaltender Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford. Kyle Clifford had a retained salary of $800,000. So we only have $800,000 against the cap, which means that this was actually a cap neutral trade if we demote Michael Hutchinson. Uh, Hutchinson makes 25 grand more than Campbell right now. Uh, Clifford makes 25 more than Moore. So it would come out to cap neutral if we decide to demote Hutchinson, which we haven't done yet because Anderson is still injured. So Jack Campbell is a 28-year-old goalie. He was drafted in the first round way back in 2010, and you will still get people talking about pedigree which is kind of weird to me. It's like, it's been a decade. Who cares when he was drafted anymore? (laughs) But anyway, he's had a couple of decent years with the Los Angeles Kings. You know, we've known a few goalies who have looked good with the Los Angeles Kings. Um, But whatever. This season, he's been a little bit less dazzling in 20 games of work. The Kings are a complete ass team, but defensively, they're actually not that bad so far as we can measure. Uh, and then Kyle Clifford is a very gritty, high-energy fourth-line winger. He will fight people. He will hit people. He will add some grit. He's a fourth-line guy, though. I hope people don't get carried away and think that he should be more than that. But he adds a certain element on the depth that I guess we didn't have very much of on left wing. And so, you know, that's fine. He's expiring unrestricted. And if some team wants to pay, like, kind of any amount for Kyle Clifford, I would let them go have him. Frankly, like, I do not want to overpay for this kind of player. So, in that sense, it is kind of a rental, something that Kyle Dubas is generally averse to. But I'm not sure how much of this trade was really about Kyle Clifford, per se. I'm sure we're grateful to have him. And Kyle Dubas remembers him fondly from his days as an agent. But... This is really about Jack Campbell hopefully coming in and giving us backup goaltending. That does not sewer us entirely. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's essentially just another kick at the can in terms of 
goaltenders, and it, you know it's possible Campbell busts on us too, right? It's not like mm-hmm. goalies are famously volatile, so yeah, kind of hope and pray. I suppose Campbell's been pretty solid through his first two games. Uh, with this sort of trade, I don't really have a ton of thoughts on it. I mean, goaltending was threatening to ruin the Leafs' season. In a season that we're not just expected, you know, the goal has shifted to like, oh, let's make the playoffs. That really wasn't the goal when we started the season, right? You know, the goal was, let's win a cup or let's you know, let's make a run. Um, mm-hmm. We're in tough to do that because even if we make the playoffs, we're going to face Tampa round one most likely or Boston, you know, or if we make the wild card, we're facing Washington probably. So there, there's no there's no easy route for us. Um, and I think we'll rightfully be the underdogs in whoever against whoever we face in the first round. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so from that perspective, like you can you can say, oh, you know, what what in Campbell's profile suggests that he's going to be good. I mean, he, his numbers are are fine. They're not spectacular or anything like that. I don't think you can expect him to be anything more than a decent backup. And even that, you know, there's mm-hmm. huge error bars around that. But you know, Hutchinson was almost certainly not going to be able to get it done. Yeah, right. Based on how he's been this entire year, and based on his track record, where he's, you know, always been a pretty meh goalie. I would mm-hmm. act worse than meh. He's, you know, been a borderline goalie for a long time. We need to roll the dice on something, right? We need to because bad goaltending is just going to sink you. And I saw some people being like pithy about like, oh, you know, uh, Campbell might just be a Hutchinson that costs two picks. Mm-hmm. I think that's unfair. From everything I've seen, Campbell's track record statistically is better than Hutchinson's, which is not which is damning with faint praise. That's not a high bar. Yeah. But the reality is, like, you need to do something at that point. Yeah, Hutchinson has performed like a low end slash out of the league backup. Like he was arguably the guy who was just above the cut line for the NHL in terms of his ranking. And I suspect this has been the end of his NHL career, honestly. Like you never know, but this could be it. Uh, Jack Campbell, we're counting on to be the backup. And it's worth noting we're counting on him to be the backup going forward because he already has an extension in place for the next two seasons after this one at $1.65 million. Now that probably raised the price because it gives the Leafs some team control of a backup. Hopefully that he, you know, he's good enough to warrant that. And so hopefully that avoids us being in the same situation again to start next year. But that's not nothing for a backup goaltender. It's fine as long as he delivers, but if you're getting kind of replacement level goaltending, we are paying an extra $700,000-$800,000 over what a lot of those guys cost. And we've talked before about all that evidence that the goalie market is inefficient and then there's not a huge correlation between how much money a goalie makes and the level of performance you get out of them. So Kyle Dubas has decided he likes Jack Campbell and again, it's a guy he had a connection with going back in junior. He traded for him uh, when he ran the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. You know, uh, I think that it's an understandable maneuver. I think Jack Campbell looks like a middling to respectable backup to me maybe a little more on his good days but I don't think that he's by any means a cure-all even a goalie who was exactly as talented as he appears to be could easily have uh, a stretch of poor play that would be enough to cost us five or six games and then that's the end of it 
So it, it's not kind of fixing everything. There was a lot of discussion about it as if Jack Campbell kind of solved the goalie situation. Jack Campbell is a possibility to solve that situation. He might be enough. We have to hope he is because I don't think anything else is coming. And I think this also suggests that, you know, the price on someone like Alexander Georgiev, for example, was way too high, as was rumored. So we went with this as an option. I hope it works. I think it's worth a try. I can't say it's more than that. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, while we're here, we should probably discuss other trade possibilities. Mm. And basically, the other trade possibility that we've talked about before is, can the Leafs acquire any defenseman? Yeah. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, it's clear that Dubis doesn't like rentals. And he's, he's said as much, right? So he's And all the reporting has been that he's looking for a defenseman with term. And, you know, not just necessarily one year of additional term, but multiple, right? And the question is, how can we attract that player? Who is that player? And is there a reasonable package we can put together that gets us that player? Mm-hmm. So we've seen the discussions about, like, say, Matt Dumba. We discussed him, I think, last week, so we don't need to discuss him in particular again today. But I think one thing that's just worth kind of considering here is, is the cap ramifications of this, and as especially as it relates to Morgan Riley's and Cody Cece's injuries. So mm-hmm. both of them are currently on uh, on long-term IR. If they remain that way until the end of the regular season the Leafs essentially have an additional like 9 million or so in their LTIR pool and that means they could just acquire someone with that money effectively um, that doesn't that space doesn't prorate it doesn't accumulate at all it's just a dollar in dollar out you know draining the pool basis mm-hmm. but that's a potential option if their injuries last that long right now i think cap friendly has us as having 6.5 million space in our in our pool um Mm. but that's with a 23 person roster with three goalies um you can send some people down right we we have we have a full 23 man roster so we have 13 7 and 3 right now right you also have to assume that if we're making a big ticket trade for a defenseman as we've discussed so many times, probably one of Janssen or Kapanen or maybe Alexander Kerfoot is going. Yes, there's some, there'll be some salary those, ballast headed the other way regardless. Yeah, and those guys make 3.2 to 3.5 million against the cap. So realistically, if we keep CeCe and Riley out until the playoffs, even if we keep Cody CeCe out and Riley does come back, that's probably enough for us to add any one defenseman, it's reasonable to expect that we would get. The reporting on this has been that the Leafs would not consider extending Riley's injury, you know, to the playoffs in order to get this, right? The the famous way this happened before is with um, the Chicago Blackhawks, I think in 2015, and Patrick Kane. <laughs> the Chicago Blackhawks doing something against the salary cap? That's wild. Yeah, it never uh, happens, eh? Um, yeah. So, it's it's possible that we do the same. The Blackhawks were in a 
comfortable playoff position. The Leafs are not. Um, mm-hmm. Hockey Biz has us as 68% to make the playoffs, which is, you know, two-thirds of the time. Better yeah, than... it's better than kicking the pants, but yeah, it's but, not I mean, terrific. Yeah, like, <laughs> if, if I said, you know, I'll give you five daughters, but there's a 68% chance that, like, you know, if I, I, I choose a random number, and 68% of the time, you get the five daughters, and 32% of the time, I punch you in the face. You're probably not taking that. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not great. So... Yeah, I should mention, if you want to read more about the uh, Patrick Kane gambit, so to speak, that the Hawks used and how it might apply to us, our own Catch and App wrote an article about that a couple weeks back, if you want to delve a little deeper. The point is, is that the Leafs, I think, are in a position where they can artfully use long-term injured reserve to add kind of whoever they want in yeah. terms of single people they could get. I, th- I think, And, you know, uh, you know, once the playoffs start, it doesn't matter. Everybody gets to be healthy, and there's no cap. It does, it's immaterial. So I think Friedman yeah. said that, like, we're essentially waiting on the on up, injury updates for those two players to, you know, make that prognosis. Because, um, it, it, you know, if Riley is going to be back, if, if Riley could play, let's say, end of March. You get him maybe in time for like five games left in the regular season. And the Leafs playoffs hopes are still in doubt at that point. You bring him back, right? I don't mm-hmm. think that's a question, really. Cody CC, if you trade for someone, CC is probably already displaced. Yeah. So there's, I don't think that there's any real pressure to bring him back that would preclude making any kind of defense upgrade. Like, if you can see a trade there and that means you keep CC out, that's fine. And you can't get super blatant with this sort of thing, but I will say I do not expect this to be any kind of problem. High ankle sprains are notoriously kind of slow to recover from, and the league has let much worse go. Someone will get mad about it and tell Elliot Friedman off the record, and it'll show up in the th- in the 31 thoughts that rival executives were not pleased with Toronto's behavior on this sort of thing. But I think we can get away with it without much trouble if we decide we want to. I think the only so do we. issue yep. is if he is, like, in theory, uh, the NHL can challenge this, right? And the PA can yep. challenge this. Um, CC has no incentive to go along with this. He's a pending unrestricted free agent. Yeah, well, the thing about it is that what's the incentive to, like, kind of kick up dust and all this sort of thing to get in a couple games earlier? Yeah, the, I don't know if it's a huge thing if they're saying, "Look, Cody, we got to do this, but we're we might really need you in the playoffs, and you're really valuable to us." And hey, we gave you an extra two hundred grand in the summer. Remember that, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and I guess the other the other thing is it, it's the I'm guessing a lot of these medical issues don't necessarily have obvious cut and dry answers. Where in a month's time, let's say. Maybe CC could play without risking further damage to himself, but he would be like slightly limited, right? Mm-hmm. Are the Leafs right to say, yeah, he's he's still injured, he can't play to his full effectiveness, right? So yeah, because I I mean, with a huge proportion of injuries, there's probably a point where you can play mm-hmm. in the physical sense of you can appear on the ice. You would just be bad at it. So it's just a spectrum of how effective are you. Uh, that's partly why I think so much chicanery has been viable with the LTIR thing. Yeah, injured you know, is a can broad term. Kind of argue with whatever you want. Yeah, it's it's a 
it's blurry. So, yeah. I mean, all of that adds up to, okay, if we want to add a defenseman, we can look at doing that. Do we want to add a defenseman? I, I tried to look at this from another angle in an article earlier this week. Uh, it, it came up on Monday morning before some of this stuff happened, but it was sort of inspired by your talk about Matt Dumba on last week's podcast, which is, is it worth adding more puck-moving defensemen? Is it worth kind of getting people who can seemingly play better in our system rather than people who kind of uh, patch a hole more obviously? I'm thinking of, uh, to use the, the same old example, Jonas Brodeen versus Matt Dumba. Jonas Brodeen is more conventionally defensively responsible, right? He's the kind of guy you would think, okay, he'll balance out a pairing. He can play the right side even though he shoots left. Matt Dumba is kind of the opposite thing. He does not have the greatest defensive track record. Maybe you think if we put him behind our forwards, he'll be more offensively capable. You know, it, that's the kind of thing we have to investigate with all of these trade-offs. It's, it would be weird to me if we made a trade and it wasn't for a defenseman, I'll say that. Seems very clear what we want. But Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And I, I think anyone who claims they know the answer with certainty is posturing. Because I think it's it's an experiment, right? I'm not sure we've seen a team lean this heavily into the same identity with every single transaction. Yeah. I mean, you could argue Kyle Clifford goes the other way a little bit, but... But he's not important. He's a fourth liner. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff about... People got really excited about Kyle Clifford, and far be it for me to rain on anyone's parade, but it's like, who cares? I'm sorry, he's like a 15-point forward. It's not that important, no matter how much he makes everyone feel better by hitting somebody. That's great. It's exciting. It's kind of fun. But it doesn't matter in the macro sense of, is this team going to succeed? Anyway, that's an aside. Yeah. So it's tricky. The other thing worth noting is that, you know, we're talking about this year's salary cap and saying, you know, because of LTIR and the injuries that we've had, we could you know, manipulate things such that we have an above-cap roster in the playoffs should we make it there. That doesn't change the reality of what happens next year. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, Dubas is not just the the manager of the Leafs until, <clears throat> excuse me, until June, I hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he has to plan for what comes after that. So that's going to be um, a factor as well. I'm not... We're not into trade speculation in general anyways, right? I think we both kind of find it difficult um, because it requires not only knowing a lot about every team, and I think we're probably reasonably informed fans, but we don't know everything about every team, and we certainly don't know how they're valued by their front offices. So it's very hard to do trade speculation in a good way, I think. Yeah, and you know, the thing about good players with term is that the incentive to trade them is lower. Like, no one would be in the least surprised if Chris Kreider gets traded because he's a rental on a team that isn't very good. But the kind of players we want, teams don't necessarily have to give up. You know, maybe there's a bit of an element of uh, the upcoming Seattle expansion draft is in the back of the heads of some teams because potentially you can get exposed if you have four good defensemen. So you might want to convert assets now, but... There are fewer obvious trade candidates that suit our needs that teams are going to be, like, rushing to give up. Like, Josh Manson is a popular discussion thing from Anaheim because he's 
big physical, but also defensively seems to be pretty sound. Uh, shoots right. He checks a lot of boxes for us. But Anaheim doesn't have to trade him. They certainly don't have to trade him at less than top dollar. And if they do shop him, there will be demand. You know, there's a bit of a problem here where there are lots of trades you can envision. That seems sort of fair. But the other team just doesn't have that much pressure to take them. So there is a bit of a, a squeeze here. I'm sure Kyle Dubas is looking around for defensive help. He's not, I'm sure, happy with how things have been going. You can actually see <laughs> uh, last night someone got a shot of him in the box and he was mm, apparently saying some things that involved the F word. But uh, I, I do think that the Leafs are kind of squeezed here in a way that it's hard to find an obvious ad on the market. They can afford it for now, as we've said, but can they get it at an asset price that they're comfortable with? I guess we're going to see. The trade deadline is two weeks away, so he's got a bit of time. He probably has some idea of this team now. He's not throwing in the towel on the season. They're too close and too competitive for that, but they're going to be in a dogfight the rest of the way. And it also must be said, you know, I don't think any team is happy to face the Leafs in a playoff series, despite what Brian Burke may tell you about the Leafs being soft. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone is excited about matching up with our top four forwards. They can cause problems for anyone, right? If Austin Matthews goes on a shooting heater and scores six goals in six games, like, it's hard to lose a series when that happens. We've done it, but <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> We're just that special. But yeah. You know, there's a lot to recommend this team. I think that if you spend so much time focusing on the flaws, you can forget what is admirable or enviable about this team's forward lineup, which is that they're really fucking good. And so I do think that the, you know, the Leafs are in with a chance if they get in, and they have a good chance to get in. You know, there's not no path forward for them. It's just... They are in an unfortunate position, partly from the hole that they dug themselves earlier, and balancing the near-term potential with the long-term implications is going to be tricky. Kyle Dubas is not in an easy spot right now. Running a team is always hard, but I think that it is especially hard right now. Yes, and I think one thing people forget is that even good teams, even great teams, have flaws. So actually, I saw I saw Adam Wow tweet a question uh, last night where it's like, you know, the Leafs are talented, but are they actually a good team? And one of the replies was by um, uh, Pete Evans, who is a, a good business journalist at CBC News and a, a Leafs fan. It's a good Twitter follow. And he mm-hmm. said, they're very talented, but they're not a top-level team. Um, other teams can kind of dictate the style of play against them, and then they, they fail to adjust, right? And he added on, you know, here's a test. Think of a, th- a team you think is great. Now list that team's weaknesses. And it's typically hard to do, but that's not hard to do with the Leafs. And I disagree with Pete here because... I think all these teams have weaknesses, right? And it, the reason it's not hard for us to list weaknesses for the Leafs is because, one, it's very obvious. Um, two, we are Leafs fans, so we analyze the team a lot. And three, the, the media around the Leafs has been banging home this flaw for three to four years. But if we even just look at you know a team I'm slightly familiar with, just from them being in the same division as the Leafs, Boston, they were one game away from the Stanley Cup last year. I think by mm-hmm. any definition, you'd have to consider them a great team. 
I can tell you their weakness yeah. immediately. After their top three forwards, their offensive depth goes to shit fast. Mm-hmm. They simply cannot get to the high-value areas of the ice the way elite offensive teams can, except when their first line is on the ice. And if their first line is having a bad game, if they're injured, if they are up against uh, an opposing forward who can limit them to some degree, like perhaps Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. they are a far less scary team to contend with. That doesn't mean they're not a great team, it just means they have a weakness. Every team, except maybe Team Canada, has a weakness. Yeah, it's just kind of the nature of the beast there. And, you know, I mean, the, Boston does have a respectable second line, I would say, you know, with Krejci and DeBrusque, but, like, it's definitely thinner, you know? It, it's not perfect, and, you know, they're relying on Zdeno Chara still, who is now very slow. Um, it's not inconceivable to me that we could beat anyone that we draw in the playoffs. That's true of a lot of teams, but I could see us in with a chance. So in looking forward and how you add to this team, I'm sure Kyle Dubas is thinking, if I could just get in, we could do some damage and then who knows. And we kind of make fun of teams for thinking that way. But I think the results under Sheldon Keefe are sufficient for him to believe in what this team can do. They're not sufficient that I think he should ever get stupid about a rental. And I don't think he's inclined to do that. But it's not hopeless by any means. And I think that sometimes people talk as if it's hopeless. I'm actually going to reference that in my bad deck of the week when we get there. Yes. Um, so we should actually speed but, this up uh, along because we still haven't talked about yeah. the Leafs' last two games. Yes. So after all that upset, and there were many quotes, and there were several thirst tweets about how attractive Jack Campbell and Cal Clifford are on Twitter, uh, we went to play the Anaheim Ducks. I say went to play. We hosted the Anaheim Ducks. And, um, well, we won, is the important thing. Jack Campbell won his first start as a Toronto Maple Leaf. That was very heartwarming. They made it a little more interesting than I would have preferred. Losing 5-4 in overtime. I mean, well. I mean, the Anaheim Ducks are not a great team. And they were on the second night of a back-to-back, I believe. Yes, and so it would have been better if we had played the third period, I think. You know, I would have recommended that if I had been asked. But we kind of didn't for a lot of stretches. And, you know, we got away with it in the end. There were some things to like, especially considering the Leafs were playing without William Nylander. And we've talked a lot about his relative value, but it's like, Look at his numbers again. He's a huge part of this offense. He's on pace for like 35-plus goals to clear 70 points. When he's gone, we miss him. When he's gone, we're not as deep. That deadly forward lineup we were just talking about is a lot less deadly. Yeah. And so, yeah, you notice it. Yeah, the, the strength of last year's Leafs, I think you could more plausibly argue, was just the wave of depth they could throw at you when everyone was fully healthy. And unfortunately, we never really saw it in the playoffs because Kadri got himself suspended very early on. Um, but the center wing combinations of Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, Marner, Kadri, Kapanen, that's really hard to match up against. This year, it's pretty much entirely a one-two punch of you know whatever combination of those four the four stars you want to put together. And mm-hmm. the depth hasn't been there. And part of that has been kind of the poor seasons of Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen, who were both, I think, quite good last year, who signed 
reasonable and fair RFA deals this year and haven't lived up to those deals, really. Um, and it, it's a tricky question evaluating them as players now because I, I believe, and I still do, that they're good players, that they didn't just forget mm-hmm. how to play hockey, that last year was not, you know, completely out of the norm. Um, certainly Janssen's shooting percentage was high, but he was also driving play, and he, he has a good nose for the net. His shot rates were good. Kapanen's always been a bit of a gunner, who, and his flaws offensively are very obvious, but as a versatile penalty-killing speedster who can kind of create chances as a one-man band on a depth line, that's really useful. This year, neither have been particularly great. Kapanen has had issues with, um, you know, he started the, the year playing left wing. He was clearly not suited for that. Uh, he's been less scalable higher up in the lineup than perhaps many thought he would be, um, which I guess isn't that surprising when you look at his skill set. Janssen's been in and out with injuries. Oh, Kapanen had that weird, he slept in, but we're punishing him as if he did something a lot worse than sleeping in thing. Mm-hmm. So, not sure what that is, but I don't think it's what they said it was. Yeah. Anyway, and Kerfoot also is—he's he, a dependable third liner. He's not offensively brilliant. He's definitely a pass-first player. He's not um, someone who's really going to drive offense on his own. He can help kind of push it along once it gets going, but he's not like a—to use a car analogy—he—he's—he's not—he doesn't have much torque. He can't get a stop to object moving. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, that that third yeah. line is, has, has struggled, and it's meant that we're really dependent on our top two lines. And Sheldon Keith is playing our top four forwards a lot at five v five and on the power play, which is good. Although, um, you know, remains to be seen whether there's some residual side effects of that. Yeah, uh, and well, and when we don't have Nylander, well, now we yeah. have three top forwards, and. Yeah, you know, you're... I'm hesitant to uh, to go too far with this mm-hmm. because I don't think any of them have really been bad. In fact, I, I would say Austin Matthews has actually been playing some of the best hockey of his career lately. Not just that he's been hot scoring. Oh yeah, no, no, the really, stars really have been great. It's it's the depth yeah. people who have struggled relatively. Yeah, and so you know, I, I wonder sometimes if there's going to be some sort of fatigue impact, and it's tempting to read that in. Generally, when you say, like, oh, they've been flagging in third periods lately, maybe they're being overplayed, it feels more generalized than that. So I, I don't know if I would draw that comparison. But certainly, we are keenly aware of the flaws of these kind of players right now. That said, everything that I've ever heard, you know, it's been suggested by Friedman, and it's been talked about by James Myrtle. If the Leafs shop Casperi Kapanen, there will be a hell of a market for him. I'm not saying you're going to get the moon and the stars and a top-pairing defenseman, but teams will want a player with his skill set and everything that he can bring. He's a good player. So there are questions here as to whether it's it's time to make a move. Um, the Anaheim Ducks game, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of times lately, if we do win, I'm just saying just take the two points and run. And not dwell on it too much. At some point, I would like us to start playing better uh, down the stretch of these things. The defense is kind of up and down. Justin Hall has been up and down since he signed that nice extension. I said a bunch of nice things about him. Uh, Travis Dermott continues to post good numbers, and yet my eye test doesn't like him. And uh, then there's Tyson Berry, who we can get to. 
I, I do find myself wondering about the flaws of these teams kind of coming together to have these stretches where they look really, really ineffective. And is that outside the bounds of normal variance where normal teams just look good and bad? Or is that exacerbated with us? Is it more likely for us to suffer these kind of stretches because we're so boom bust? Hard to say. Yeah. Um, man, it's... <laughs> and, yeah, I'm not, not entirely sure. Yeah, it's, it is frustrating. And then, you know, we, we go into Montreal last night Played a very tight game. Montreal is a good defensive team. The Leafs also played like a pretty decent defensive team. Like, I didn't think either side generated the hell of a lot through the first two periods. It was a pretty tight uh, game, the, yeah. It was a really tight game. And uh, it was very boring. I PJ Stock had a tweet where it was like, this is why these two teams aren't in the playoffs. And then he said, hashtag pond hockey. Okay, What? That was the weirdest tweet I've ever seen. Like it's pond bizarre. hockey, that's that's the opposite of what it means. I'm, it's so wrong that I'm just kind of baffled by it. Anyway, whatever. But the Leafs kind of turtled in the third period. They did not play especially well. They didn't get many shots on goal. I don't know. They got two. And yeah, uh, you're being kind. <laughs> when I say not many, I almost mean not any. But anyway, they got out of the third with a point. I guess which was kind of disappointing, frankly. You know, they scored a minute in with uh, John Tavares. They gave up a goal late to Marco Scandella. And so we go to overtime. I think I rented about this off the top, did I not? I think I had some thoughts about that. Yeah, you were, you were pretty, I don't know, you were pretty subtle, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> did I give away at all in the slightest degree that I was a trifle upset? Look, in three-on-three, three, if you're Tyson Berry, your shot selection has to be better than that. It's not a situation where it's worthwhile to give up possession for a faint hope of a goal. And that's really, really standard three-on-three three stuff. You have to be better than that. Tyson Berry, to his credit, knows. He acknowledged as much in post-game interviews. But being trigger-happy to the point of being misguided is part of the package with Tyson Berry. I am trying so hard not to let my eye test color my opinion of him too much. But my eye test hates him. And when he does something as, frankly, dumb as that play was, that cost us a critical point, it is really hard not to be frustrated with him. It didn't help that he just had a putrid game in general. Yeah, oh yeah, he was sucking like the whole night. It was terrible. He was not playing well. And I'm not sure kind of what to, to make of it at this point. We're going to keep him for the rest of this year. I can't see us keeping him beyond that. Uh, I don't know how much money he may have cost himself this season. He's still got, getting some points. I wouldn't want to be within a 1,000 miles of his next contract. That's all I can say. He's been uh, a real disappointment to me. In, in a lot of respects. So, yeah, I, I'm finding it very hard to say anything good about him at all right now. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's never been a great play driver. And I think that's no. also, you know, if you're analyzing him honestly, that has to give you some skepticism about his nicer play driving results under Keefe, where it's like, 
you know what? I that he probably didn't get better at this overnight. He probably, you know, there's something else going on realistically, and that's that's typical. That's that that's what I believe for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And we t- we were talking about this off air. His good numbers under Keefe are overstated to some degree. Mm. Um, you know, he he, as far as I remember, and maybe this has changed recently, but he has basically like an even Corsi rel playing yeah. top four minutes, which is something. Um, but like, yeah, he's he's basically shown okay, yeah, he's driving. Or he, when he's on the ice, the Leafs are no worse than when he's off the ice. Cool. He mostly plays with the top players on the Leafs, who all do very very well without him as well. So I'm mm-hmm. still skeptical. Yeah, he's you know, I think Tyson Berry is a fourth defenseman. I think you should hire him, maybe. If you really need someone to run your first power play unit. But I really would not want to pay a lot of money for what he brings. And I think his next contract has the potential to be awful. Like genuinely really, really bad. So, you know, I guess take that for what it's worth. Now that said, we're way too thin on right defense that I think it's realistic for us to trade him at this point. Maybe Kyle Dubas will shock me, but I think if we're trading to add defense, we'll still be accepting Barry for the rest of this year, and then we'll say bon voyage in the summertime. Yeah. So, you know, I've seen some people saying, like, maybe we'll trade him as a rental. That would have only happened, I think, if we played ourselves totally out of contention by this point, which we have not done. So, yeah, I I mean, we just kind of have to accept it. It is really tempting to get swayed by the big mistake in the critical moment, which that was. And as frustrating as it was, everybody makes big mistakes. It's just his proclivity to be super shot happy is so goddamn frustrating to me that I I have a hard time seeing him straight. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, Barry's also not making much money this year because Colorado retained salary on him. Mm -hmm. So... As much as I am not really a fan of him as a player, I don't think we'd be able to replace him for the salary he's making adequately. No, but, you know, we'd have to trade for, like, another retained asset or something like that. You know, like, it's not realistic for us to upgrade getting rid of him at this point unless we absolutely rob somebody, it feels like. Yeah. I don't think it fits in the parameters that we're operating under. So, you know, he's here. All I can say is I hope that he maybe thinks a little more uh, a missed shot, you know, in general is kind of annoying, or uh, a poorly chosen shot, because that one did hit the net. But in three-on-three, three, it's worse than annoying. It's actually a very risky defensive play, in addition to being a low-percentage offensive play. And I hope he's aware of that. Yep. So, that kind of takes us to the end of this week and where we are right now. On net, you know, we came away with three points in four games. That's not good enough. If we do that on an ongoing basis, we're done. It could have been better than it was. You know, it's it's a frustrating week because I would say legitimately all of those eight points were within grasp. Depending on how you look at it, there was never a game where the Leafs were completely incapable of winning them. And yet we walked away with a disappointing percentage. We have to hope Jack Campbell can get it done going forward and that Freddie Anderson gets healthy and good again. Yep. So, yeah. 
Uh, you have any other thoughts on the week before we go to bad takes? Uh, no, let's get angry. All right. Uh, you want to go first, or I've been angry already? But sure, yeah, I'll go first. I'll give you. Again. I'll give you some time to cool down again. <laughs> so go for it. Um, this, I I have a really interesting bad. It's it's a set of bad takes actually, because it's two people replying to one another, and they're both <laughs> wrong in my opinion. So you know a take is bad. Mm. Katya had a tweet like this. You know a take is bad when it spawns a contrary take that's just as bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like a nuclear exchange. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Pierre LeBrun, everyone's favorite hockey insider, with <laughs> who I, I I mean I he's kind of a sentient paperweight. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? Pierre Lebrun feels like your kind of slightly dopey old uncle, who's like he's he doesn't mean any harm. Like I I I think he's all right. He means well. I don't think that his analysis is worth pretty much anything. You know, he's a reporter. He's connected. He has sources. Yes. He reports things according to the standards of his profession. He does his job. And you know, the analysis is a bit like, okay, Pierre, you you got it. <laughs> yeah. So go on. So this it was said February 7th, which was the day of the Anaheim game. Um, and, and he was saying this. It, this is two tweets uh, in reference to the Leafs-Anaheim game, where he said, John Cooper told me this in December about learning from last spring. Quote, the one thing we had to change is that we had an offensive arrogance about us. So for instance, we're up 3 nothing in game one. Instead of winning 3 nothing, we'd want to win the game 6 nothing. At some point, that came back to get us. This is the lesson that Maple Leafs have, let to, have yet to learn. So this is just a doozy. <laughs> First off, um, the, the Lightning haven't done shit since then. <laughs> like, how do we know they've learned anything? <laughs> right? That's this, the thing. Is if the standard is you got to win in the playoffs, this happened last year. In the playoffs. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not sure that's the person we should be taking lessons from. Second, I mean, look, the Lightning are a great team. They were a great team last year who lost four games in a row. It happens. Yeah. Right. They, like. Hockey is like that, and they faced another pretty solid team who, for by all counts, game planned well and was a good matchup. Or was, sorry, a tough matchup for Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it necessarily had to do with their offensive arrogance. It's just that they probably weren't as good as a 60-win season in hockey suggests. Um, because no team is that good in hockey because hockey is random as hell. Anyways, mm-hmm. putting that aside, if you watch this game... The Leafs' issue is not their offensive arrogance. If anything, it's a lack of offensive arrogance. The Leafs' issue is that they were sitting back like crazy. They weren't generating anything at points. Right? Like It, it was not an offensive arrogance thing. It was a, we are dramatically scaling back our offense because we, don't, we are super risk-averse. And actually, funny enough, Micah McCurdy um, had a presentation yesterday at a a hockey analytics conference in columbus where he essentially argued that score effects are almost entirely or at least primarily due to the leading team taking their foot off the pedal not the trading team pressing and that's exactly borne out by how the leafs played against anaheim right they they gave up a shorthanded goal didn't generate some any uh, any offense gave up a power play gave up a a power play goal right They, they they weren't they just weren't doing a whole lot once they got their lead. So it's just a straight-up 
wrong tweet for one like it's just not correct based on the evidence of the actual game it's like very ideological as opposed to reality based the other yeah, it's just what people want to think about the toronto maple leafs and the facts are literally irrelevant to that narrative yes and they can complain a lot about narratives it's this is like the opposite of what is actually happening. Yes, and the, the narrative is the Leafs are a bad defensive team. The reason they blow leads is because when they get them, they are a bad defensive team. So they're likely to give up goals against. That's, that's <laughs> it. They're, they're a bad defensive team. That's the narrative. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. I, I, that's, that's the truth. Like, that's the reality. Yeah, yeah I just and, really you know. don't understand... I really don't like agree with this this tweet and like, what, what is it like why so if you're up three nothing presumably the idea is you don't want to try and win six nothing you want to try and shut the game down make it low event you don't want to keep trading chances and make it like high variance and i agree with that to an extent right like you do you do want to be smart about the risks you're taking when you're when you have a big lead you don't want to start trading chances because an additional goal doesn't help your probability of winning that much but a goal against hurts your probability of winning quite a bit and that's why teams sit off but that's not offensive arrogance i don't think and that i i don't really think that it's something the leafs do with any real regularities that you know they're they're cheating for offense when they're up three nothing and that's why they give up leads no i think you're quite right that the problem is that they aren't pressing enough like it seems like they get to the okay we want this game to be lower event and then, like, the only lever they have on that is, okay, we're just going to stop doing anything. Yes, they, they stop doing the <laughs> things that... It's like, that we turned work. our events down. They won't oblige us. Why do they keep trying to score? Yeah, they, they tamp down the things that make them a good offensive team. And then they're just left with a <laughs> bad offensive team and a bad defensive team. <laughs> it's like, it achieves nothing. It, they just, like, they, deva- they deactivate the thing that they are good at in exchange for no discernible benefit yeah and so yeah i don't know i don't think there's a reasonable enough sample to suggest that like this is maybe a weakness of keith's system but Mm. if it persists then i think we have to consider it as you know this isn't a system that is scalable in the sense that you can't do the same thing but lower event without exposing yourself unnecessarily so it doesn't work depending on like based on game state it might not always be the ideal thing to do and then that that's that's an issue, right? As much as people hate to admit it, um, you do want to shut the game down when you get a lead, right? You want it to be low event. So like LeBron is correct in that statement, right? Or, or Cooper, I should say, is like you know you do want to shut the game down, which is what he's implying, as opposed to like continuing to trade for offense. But I don't think the Leafs' issue is that they haven't learned this lesson. If anything, they're they're just not shutting the game down properly. They're just shutting down their offense without shutting down the game. They're just bad on defense. Yeah. It's a bit like if you were you know, if you were going to like Dr. Pierre Lebrun and it's like, okay, here's the medical principle, here's the diagnosis, here's the prescription. Pierre names a medical principle that isn't relevant, diagnoses the wrong thing, and prescribes the wrong thing. Like he hasn't addressed the problem that the Leafs actually have. So it's not really super relevant. Because it's like they're not doing the thing that he describes as being a problem. So it doesn't really matter that he's saying like, oh, you should do this instead. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, if, if you look at the goals against that 
we've given up when we've had the lead. It it's off these extended cycles where we're just turtling in our own zone. It's not it's not like, oh wow, you know, Austin Matthews tried to, you know, score a puck with his dick and then, you know, <laughs> went the other way. It's it's not like a showboating thing. Yeah, you know, and the, the truth is, we said this at the beginning with Keith. I think this part has been borne out. The Leafs have a kind of conceding defensive system to some extent that allows the outside of the ice in their own zone that allows teams to ring around them over and over again looking for a chance and what the Leafs seem to me to try and do is when the shot comes they try to get to the rebound and then they try to move on it's sort of a principle of are we have a goalie for the first shot and we're going to use them and then after that we kick back in and they're typically good at exiting the zone with control right i think that's probably the benefit of Keith's system and the benefit mm. of the talent we have on the roster especially on the forward side so right. yeah anyways so this, this is still just the one take <laughs> i haven't even gotten the other <laughs> thing um so then jeff viet uh of the face-off circle and i guess just leaf's twitter presence in general responds what you're describing there is the Leafs under Babcock, and they did worse than this. I hope they never have to learn that lesson again. And it's just like, this this annoyed me just as much. Because this is just going the other way, and just saying, like, Babcock, man, bad. Keith, man, good. Yeah. And so like- I, I tweeted a response to Jeff that, and I stand by this, what he is saying there is demonstrably not true. Um, If you yeah. go to Hockey Biz, they have... They have um, offenses and defenses by score state. The Leafs, when tied last year, had an offense that's 18% better than league average. When they're up one, it gets worse, but it's still 7% better than league average. When they're up two, it's 17% better than league average. And this is, these are all relative to the same league average, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an offensive drop-off when, um, the, when the Leafs get a lead. That's true of basically every team. If you look at Tampa... Their, their offense was below average last year when they were in the lead. If you look at Boston, their offense was way below average when they were in the lead. And then when the Leafs are up two, their offense is basically the same as when it was when they were tied. Right? There, there's no mm-hmm. real coherent explanation of, oh yeah, the Leafs are trying to like stifle their offense as much as possible, which is why they're still above average when they have a lead of one under Babcock last year, and while they're the exact same offense when they have a lead of two. Like it's, just, it's just not consistent with the facts. Right? Yes. And I, I, if you have a hockey vis subscription, I challenge you to do this. Go through every any team you want. Carolina had a very strong offense when tied last year. They had a sharper drop-off from tied offense to up by one offense than the Leafs did by a pretty significant di- uh, distance. Right? Yes. Every team naturally scales back when they are ahead. The Leafs did not do that to a particularly extreme degree last year, best as we can tell. And their offense was good enough that even though they had maybe a a, a large relative drop-off from their tied offense, they're still generating a lot more chances than the average team does when they are up one. And I don't think there's a reasonable way to sell that as Babcock told them to turtle. And I commented on this in a follow-up tweet where it's, there are so many valid things to criticize Mike Babcock for. So many. Yes. I and don't... It's, it's worth saying, you know, like we have said repeatedly, 
we were wrong about some things about Mike Babcock. Mea maxima culpa, it's true. But that doesn't mean that now every single criticism of him is right. Lots of them are. There's enough that he deserved to be fired. It's just, it's very frustrating when it's like now it's open season where we can say literally anything we feel like and reality doesn't matter because it's like, how are we ever going to understand this team if we just make up, you know, fairy tales about what was actually happening with them for four years? I don't know. It does. It, it frustrates me too. Yeah. Obviously, and you can tell. The joke I made in Slack is like, criticizing Babcock for this is like criticizing Mussolini for his famous inability to get trains to run on time. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's, other, all the there's things. other things to go with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that that was, uh, that was a team nobody kind of situation there. Um, I had a, a bad take, too, because this is an angry podcast. Listen to the Habs, this is all riled. This tweet is from Sid Sexero of Tim and Sid. I debated whether or not I wanted to comment it on, comment on it, but what the hell. This sort of thing happens a lot in... You know, that kind of media. ESPN has pioneered this with sort of first take and everyone's kind of snappy and snarky and all this sort of stuff. After the Anaheim game, he tweeted, Leafs, fight tooth and nail to beat the league's 27th best team who played the night before. Raptors, 113 straight. Haha. Okay, so I hate this kind of argument. I hate this kind of tweeting. First of all, the Raptors are an eminently more successful team than the Leafs right now. You know why? They won a fucking championship. Obviously, the Raps are an elite, renowned organization right now. They have the respect of the league, finally, and it's well-earned. No one is saying that the Leafs have outperformed the Raptors lately. Anyone who said that is insane. That doesn't make any sense. But... This little argument where it's like, oh, the Leafs have to fight tooth and nail to beat a bad team. It's like every team has close wins, including the Raptors. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Raptors had injuries, but they like they beat the Nets by one point last night. The Nets are not very good. And now, granted, they were missing Lowry. But still, it's like, of all the evidence you could use to make this dumb point that you don't even need to make, you referenced a thing that is not even like a great argument. The best argument for it's like, the Raptors are, in general, a more successful organization is the obvious stuff. Like, the Raptors won a championship. You don't have to make sort of stupid arguments to make a conclusion that doesn't really matter. And it seemed emblematic to me of the whole issue with that kind of thinking, where it's like, the point isn't to ever understand what are the Leafs doing wrong. It's just to be like, lol, look at the Leafs, ha ha ha. And... That's great, but it just turns into like the guy at your water cooler who's like one level deep in terms of what he thinks about this stuff, and that's it. I think that this kind of stuff makes the conversation around sports dumber. I genuinely believe that it's it, it treats a kind of facile shittiness as being more worthwhile than actually thinking about anything. And... It's not the most egregious example, but it is kind of that whole brand, and it's so tiresome. So I just kind of had to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 also one. It, it's built for 
there's a substantial amount of Raptors fans, and I see this as I've mentioned this before. I'm as much of a Raptors fan as I am a Leafs fan. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a substantial number of Raptors fans who dislike the Leafs because they've always been kind of the top dog in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. Which and to some degree that's changing. We've talked about this before. Where in Toronto proper, I imagine the Leafs and the Raptors are pretty similar in terms of popularity. Especially mm-hmm. now that the Raptors have won a championship. Um, it's really in the suburbs where the Leafs are king. Yeah, and like more largely kind of throughout Ontario. And then there's also a substantial fan base across the country. Exactly. Like it's a lot less concentrated. Exactly. Um, but yeah, there's a substantial amount of Raptors fans who are annoyed that the Leafs always suck up coverage. Even when they're, you know, not great and certainly not great compared to the Raptors. And it feels like this tweet is entirely designed to get people to laugh at the Leafs as if other teams don't have bad losses all the time or even tough wins. Montreal has lost every game to Detroit this year. <laughs> oh, that makes me smile. Right? Like, it, it, but, you know, this, hap- this happens. Yeah. Right? It's... Yeah. It, it, it's not worth... And you could say, yeah, like, it's just a very obvious point. Like, yeah, no one is saying that the Leafs are as good in their respective sport as a consensus top three organization. Right? It's, Who I feel like it sums up, yeah, I mean, well, they're like the Raptors are legitimately like close to a gold standard franchise in the NBA. Like, they couldn't retain Kawhi, so they're not going to threaten like dynasty status. But everyone is legitimately impressed with what they've done, including me. Like, I would be over the moon if the Leafs could reach that standard that the Raptors have set in, like, every respect. But, like, the whole tweet where you just sort of grab bag something and be like, oh, here's how this team did a thing and here's how this other team, boo. It's like that whole kind of sports commentary thing where the only goal is to dunk on a Fisher-Price net over and over and over again and never try to think about anything and you can say well you know sometimes that's all people want out of sports and that's fine we probably care too much about sports i certainly do Uh, the leafs have done little for my happiness in that respect but it's like if you ever want to think about it it gets so fucking tiresome so yeah it really does off my chest um i had one last thing that i kind of wanted to uh talk about just tucked in at the end here yep. uh so we did our mailbag a couple of weeks back that was a lot of fun we got a lot of questions uh, a good time was had it also got me thinking of some questions that i've gotten periodically over the last few years in twitter dms or wherever else and there are people saying how do i get started in writing about hockey talking about hockey kind of doing this possibly as a career or something like that well one I feel obliged to kind of clarify here. This is not Arvin's or my day job. We make a non-zero amount of money doing this, but it's like, it's not much of anything. It's not commensurate with probably the effort that we put in, which is fine. It's a hobby for us. That's it. The number of people who are actually making a living in terms of blogging or commentary of that nature is really small like vanishingly small compared to the number of people who want to do it. The people who make a living in sports tend to be full-on statisticians employed by teams. You see some of those. 
or actual journalists or ex-professional hockey players who are doing commentary. Like, there's not... I, I, like, I just feel obligated to say, like, there's not a living doing what we do for almost anybody that I can think of. I don't know that that's even necessary to say, but I've had a few people kind of ask me in that respect. Like, I, I don't think that anyone that I know is all that close to making a real living doing this. Or if so, it's a very, very short list of people. So if you want to get into it in some respect, you probably have to do it from a perspective of this is just a hobby for me, which it is for us, and that's fine. Hobbies are great. Uh, speaking generally in terms of how to get into it, all I can say is I started commenting on a website, and I started making longer comments on a website, and then I started writing fan posts on a website, and then eventually the website asked me to write longer things. That was basically it. So in terms of getting in, I would say maybe it's best if you can try and eventually get onto a more established platform. But I did just want to not kind of pour cold water or anything, but just I do worry that there are sometimes some younger people who maybe have an unrealistic perception as to whether or not you can make money doing this. And you basically can't. And that's okay. Just... I. <laughs> I found myself worried after I got a few of these things that there was actually like a real kind of delusion as to how this would go. Yeah. So I just felt obliged to clear that up. <laughs> the reality is the internet has made writing and opinions very cheap because now mm -hmm. we all have platforms for them, right? And it makes it very hard to have a career where you get paid for your opinions without having some sort of prior credential um, that uh, uh, some sort of prior credential that shows some level of expertise, right? So, like, you can get mm -hmm. paid for your opinions in other kind of more meaningful fields. It's probably in an easier way than, than hockey because you can, like, you know, go become, like, go study something and go eventually become, like, a pundit for, you know, I don't know, international relations with China or something like that. You might need a PhD to do it, but, like, you know, there's a path. <laughs> um, and even then, it's probably not very easy there's probably a lot of people who want to do that but with sports something that is inherently designed to be accessible to the average person that many people have interest in and opinions on because it's escapism from the rest of the world it's near impossible it really is right um and yeah i think it's it's smart to have a clear idea of the realities of this industry I, I don't I think I'm comfortable speaking for both of us that neither of us plan on making this a career no we probably wouldn't say nasty things in the bad takes of the week segment if we did yeah actually. yeah no, no honestly <laughs> if, if we were if we were planning on making this a career frankly we wouldn't be doing a good job because staying at a blog is not tremendously great for it but we enjoy it we enjoy the people and we enjoy talking about the Leafs and we don't have any we don't necessarily have any ambitions to become like the new hockey night in Canada or some shit, or like to disrupt hockey <laughs> discourse. It's it's just it's fun for us. It's fun talking hockey. It's fun writing about hockey. It's fun following the Leafs. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if it doesn't feel like it after we lose to the fucking half. Yeah. But uh, well, and yeah, a lot of this yeah, reminds so. me of like yeah. kind of obviously social media stars are like a thing now, like YouTubers and Instagrammers, right? Where they you make there are people who make millions and millions of dollars 
by posting YouTube videos where they build a fan base and they get mm-hmm. ads and sponsors and same with Instagram and even podcasts like, you know, big podcasts can make a crap ton of money. Um, but I think the reality is for all of those, there's 100 million other people trying to do the exact same thing and starting mm-hmm. any of those kind of platforms or any sort of social public presence with the idea of I'm going to do this to sustain myself. I think is has a very high chance of ending in failure. I think you you almost always have to start it because you just like doing it, and then if it turns into something that you can monetize, great. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, I can think of a couple of people who have carved out the runway. The most obvious example is Steve Dangle, but like the number of people who want to do what he does, and the number of people who are him, is a ratio of a very big number to one person. Yeah, and so. I, I think. And I think Steve would, would say this as well, where he started it at the right time. I think mm-hmm. trying to do it now would be tough because you'd always be seen as an imitation of Steve Dangle. He, he did this for like six years before anyone noticed him. Yeah, and, you know, I'll also say this. He's good at what yes, he does. absolutely. He has a lot. You know, he works talent. hard at it and he's developed, yeah, he's, de- he's developed, you know, a format that plays to his strengths. And he's versatile. He has different things going on. It's all great. None of this is this way to anyone who wants to do any of this, though. Speaking personally, uh, it's great for the purest of reasons, which is that if you like to hear yourself talk on a podcast, you can do that. Or if you like to write for an audience, you know, I like writing. It's one of the, you know, few things I'm particularly good at, I guess. Um, And, you know, I get an audience for that. And that's pretty cool to me, honestly. It's rewarding in its own sake. You, You know, otherwise I would be... I don't know, writing for an audience of nobody. It's just, that's that's all it is. And I I hate to be like the, the old man crusher of dreams either. It's just like, make sure you know what you're getting out of it if you want to pursue it, is what I would say. And as long as you're okay with the ratio of reward to effort, then that's awesome. And you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you're happy with that. Yep, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was my, my little important serious dad announcement. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you can find all of mine and Fuleman's aforementioned writing at penchapmanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.